welcome to the Birth Trauma Mama podcast. I'm your host, Kaylee Summers, a licensed therapist and birth trauma survivor. This is a space where we talk about what it means to experience trauma during a time that we expected to be one of the best of our lives. This stuff is dark and it's messy, but we're here to shine a light on it. We're here to hold your hand as you walk through the darkness. We're here to show you that the light exists and we're going to help you find it. So wherever you are, take a deep breath, settle in, and let's do this. Welcome to the Listener Story Series on the Birth Trauma Mama podcast. We created this series as a space where we get to hold and honor so many of the equally beautiful and devastating stories from those in our community. We hope that these stories will provide comfort and connection in what can be such an isolating and lonely time. As always, please take care of yourselves and go gently whenever you choose to listen. And a reminder that you can always find an outline of the episode in the show notes if you want to decide on the content before diving in. Welcome to part two of Tracy's story on the Listener Series podcast. If you have not heard part one of her story yet, please go ahead and head back to last week's episode of our listener series to catch part one of Tracy's story. Um, I went through two, uh, three rounds of IVF retrieval. I never did a transfer because they were, they were first of all, I, I couldn't get enough like eggs and embryos. I was trying to, to bank and store. And there were also questions about whether or not I should or could, could or should carry um, just given the risks. And um, so it was just you know, just year after year is just never ending is what it felt like. And um, I had the the last loss in June of last year. I had the DNC and we were going to do one more round of IVF. And then we were, my husband and I were so burnt out. So we just decided to take that money and take a really nice trip. Yes. <laughs> and I remember talking to my doctor and my doctor said, you know, like, you know, breaks are okay too. Like just take a few breaks, just take a few months off, just yeah. take some breaks. And, you know, um, talked about the uh, increased fertility that can come after a DNC. And, you know, then I got pregnant and that's the baby that I just had and she's alive and, and well, but it was uh, another really traumatic delivery and another really, really high risk pregnancy. I think like I wanted so badly to have a, a like a do over, yes. but <laughs> that was not, was not the case. Mm-hmm. And you know it's really interesting because I've had two incredibly traumatic deliveries with two very different outcomes. And so yeah. in in that pregnancy, it was my fourth pregnancy. Um, I of course was just detached from from that entire pregnancy. Like I didn't look at ultrasound. I wouldn't look at the ultrasound screen. I wouldn't take any photos. It took me a lot. I mean, it took me several months before I would say, okay, I'll take one. I took one photo the entire time. And I was just like convinced that these things would happen. And it's hard because, you know, doctors like to say like, oh, it's so rare. It's so rare. But so many times I have heard like, oh, this is a less than 1% chance. Like everything that happened to me was less than 1% chance. So when I would hear that, I would tell myself, oh, then it's going to happen to you. So it had like the opposite opposite effect. Yeah. Yeah. And my doctor and I would always joke, he's like, oh, you're a one percenter. Like, so it's like all like I have a list of like all these like super rare things that have happened. So in that pregnancy, I just I I couldn't believe that it would be any different. And it's hard because, you know, people 
they do, they see someone who's in pain or in discomfort and they want someone to feel better. And so that, you know, they offer all those platitudes that we all hate, mm -hmm. but for me, it was part like trauma, but it was also part accurate where I was going to the doctor two to three times a week, one to three times a week, usually around two. And they were telling me, Oh, you have this complication or oh, this thing. And so part of it was a trauma, but part of it was like, I'm not that. Like right. they're saying this is what's happening. And so it was, that was the whole pregnancy. I mean, I had bleeding in the first trimester. So basically it was like, okay, we'll see if you miscarry. So I was in the ER for that. I, um, I had marginal cord insertion, which can impact development. And I fainted at one point, it was in the hospital for that. And, but really the, um, the scariest thing that I had, and I did end up having it, but they didn't know 100% was a uh, placenta accreta spectrum. And mm -hmm. so, which is like one of the high, one of the most high risk and dangerous pregnancy complications. And so what that means is that the uh, placenta grows into the uterus and isn't able to detach. And so, um, you know, it can cause a loss, it can cause maternal mortality. And so obviously almost dying in the first delivery and having a loss in that first delivery. And now I'm here, I am at risk again for different reasons. And because of that first delivery, because I had so many uterine surgeries, yep. just like with all of the treatments that I've had and the losses that like that now put me at risk for this, con this condition. And what was so hard about it is that it's, there's not a definitive way to diagnose it. And so I, you know, I had multiple, I mean, I had an ultrasound every week, pretty much in this pregnancy. And I had an MRI. And, um, you know, it was kind of, it was every week we'd go to the doctors like, oh, we don't know, we don't think so. But like, we're not sure. And so they went back and forth about um, kind of like what the care plan would look like, and ultimately yeah. decided, thankfully, to err on the side of caution. I remember like the MFM, I had a new MFM in this pregnancy, because the first one I had was so terrible. Yeah. Um, so I switched and I had a really good one this time. And I remember he just said to me, he's like, I just have to be extra careful with you. He's like, you've just been through too much. And like, I have to treat you as if it is this. And so what that looked like was um, modified bed rest, pretty much the entire pregnancy. Oh, I also had a shortening cervix. Too. Okay. <laughs> that was okay. bad for the the bed rest because they were like, oh, I was gonna say a bed rest for a guy. I've never heard of that, but this makes sense. <laughs> yeah, and I had a full previa. <laughs> okay. So yeah. yeah, the bed rest makes this more is, sense now. <laughs> yeah, I've uh, I've talked so much about my first delivery, but this is actually my first time talking about the second one. So I'm yeah. still piecing and like processing. I'm only of three course. months out. Exactly. So um, I'm forget. I'm like remembering all the stuff that I had, and I remember I went to the MFM, and immediately he was like with the shortened cervix. And then I had to go on like medication they're like oh we might have to do an emergency surcage I was like oh my god this is horrible and um so he's like you're out of work like I don't want you working at all and I was like not that far along in the pregnancy I hadn't told anyone I was pregnant I didn't really tell anyone until I was going into the hospital I mean I I did have to tell people at work to you know process with them but I I, I was into the 20s when I disclosed that to people yeah. at work and um, I just was like, I can't not work. And so I pushed back a little and, you know, I, I drastically cut back and I converted to completely telehealth and they didn't want me driving it on. So, um, you know, I 
was like not really working the entire pregnancy. I was doing maybe, I was doing half of what I normally do, you know? And so then the um, guidelines for Akrita are to um, hospitalize at 32 and to deliver early via C-section because if it isn't Akrita, you have to have a hysterectomy because the placenta won't detach and you'll just hemorrhage to death. So- yeah, I think it de- yeah, it definitely depends on the the level of accreta, but they always go in with the C with that plan. Yes. Yes, C-hist that is plan. always yeah. the plan and they yeah. try to save it if they can, they but try often, to save it. Yeah. Often they unfortunately cannot. And I just want to also point to the fact that you were diagnosed with something that the outcome is very similar to what you had been through, which is excessive yes. hemorrhaging that can turn into DIC yes. that requires lots right. of surgery. Yeah. And also, you know, it can cause loss too. A hundred percent. Yeah. And because what happens is if they have to deliver you early because it becomes problematic, then, and the pregnancy is not viable. Yeah. So, and I talk to people like that, you know, people have reached out to me saying I had, you know, this is kind of a creative spectrum too, but you know, they weren't able, I wasn't able to make it to 30, whatever to viability. Yeah. Before then. It's different for it. Yeah. Yeah. So I was hospitalized at 32 weeks, which is um, my understanding. This is what my team said is pretty standard if they suspect a placenta accreta spectrum. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was admitted at 32 weeks, which was really tough for me because it was the same hospital where I delivered the first time. And it was the point in which I had my loss was 32 and a half weeks. So I'm back at the same hospital at the same gestational period. And I'm on the, let's try to keep you pregnant for, so, you know, my God. Yeah. Really, really tough. Um, and you know, I, I'd been at this hospital for a DNC following a miscarriage separate to the DNC I had after the first delivery. And so just not my favorite place to be and I'm impatient. And, you know, the goal is to try to get me to 35 weeks. The guidelines for placenta creative spectrum are to deliver between 35 and, and 36, 34 and 36, but really, you know, 35, they were telling me is, is, is the safest and try to get me to that point. Yeah. So I'm in there, I monitored in the midst of all that, I'm going, you know, having contractions or trying to stop labor with medication. So it's just every day is up and down. Um, but the things that stand out to me and the, the, the advocacy work that I did just myself and with my doctor to make sure I felt supported are, are really important and made me feel, I think, as best as I could have felt, given that it's it was like every day was like the ultimate trauma exposure. And so, you know, my doctor visited me every day, sometimes multiple times a day. (laughs) Um, And I remember when I was getting admitted, I was really nervous and we were having conversations of like, what do you need to feel supported? And they talked about like people not knowing my history and coming in and having to go through it. And immediately my doctor was like, I'm going to round on you 90% of the time. Like, don't even worry about that. And so that was really comforting I had a, a meeting with the head of anesthesia who actually ended up being the anesthesiologist, which he, uh, they couldn't promise that to me because they never know, like in terms of like emergencies or deliveries, but that doctor was the doctor and he was fantastic. And so he came in, we met for like, probably like 15, 20 minutes, which is a lot for a doctor. It is, yeah. Um, and um, he was great. He went through everything. He said, if it wasn't him, it'd be someone that he knows and trusts. And, you know, that's where the conversation came up of, you know, you will be alone and your husband will come in like once you're prepped. And that really um, was scary to me to be alone. You know, I didn't want to be alone. I wanted, 
and, and I knew I wouldn't be alone. I would have the medical team, but I wanted my person there. Yeah. And so that's when I asked the question of, can I have someone in the room? And, and um, the response was, well, we've never done that. We don't usually do that, but let me see what we can do. And, you know, so we're kind of going through everything and that's kind of like the one hang up. And then I, I met with uh, the head of nursing OR. And okay. so um, I asked the same question. It was like, well, husbands don't or partners don't really want to be in the room because it's it's really not like, uh, I forget like how she worded it, but basically she's like, your husband doesn't want to see what we're doing. And I was like, my husband doesn't care. He's literally seen me bleed to death. <laughs> like, do you think he right? cares? Yeah. yeah. And I was like, they're like the, you know, the partners, like the wives and the husbands will faint. And I was like, no, like you can keep the, you know, shield up. Like we don't need to like say, come, you know, get a look at my insides. <laughs> yeah. Come look at my insides. Yeah. But all of which he's seen before. Like it's so exactly. stupid. Like, you exactly. know, so um, I remember telling my OB that saying like, you know, and explaining and, and really explaining why and you know, I've lost count of how many surgeries I've had, but I think the number is 10 fertility related. And up until that point, it was seven because I had three in that, but like last delivery. And so, you know, the point in which I always panic is when I'm walking back to the OR because they always have you walk back. And when I walk in and I see the room and I see all the equipment, I I always have a panic attack and I always start just crying hysterically and I just can't regulate. I just remember what it, what it was like to be awake in those surgeries when people are like, she's dying, she's bleeding out, you know, or if she lives, she'll probably be infertile. And I just, I cannot not go there. And I knew that. And I, and I wanted to feel as supported as, as possible going into that. And so I explained to my doctor, like, I will panic even if my husband's in the room, mm-hmm. you know? And like, of course they bring up, you know, like medication. And that's something I talked about the anesthesiologist. And I was like, no, I don't want medication. I don't want my baby to come out dopey because there was this question of, will she need the NICU admin? And, it, and if I made it to 35 weeks, which I did end up making it, it was 50, 50, but they had told me if I was even one day shy of 35 weeks, they were just automatically going to send her. And so because I was like, okay, I've made it to this milestone of 35 weeks. I, I didn't want anything to interfere with that. And so I was explaining this to my doctor and he was like, I'll make sure your husband came in the room, went, came back. And my doctor would always come in and check in like, Hey, you met with anesthesia. How did that go? Is there, do you need to meet with them again? Do you have any other questions? So there was really good, like loop back, uh, yeah. communication, communication loop. And so, um, you know, the day of I've, I've met with everybody, my doctor, I think came in like three or four times that day, like just to check on me, cleared the whole morning. And, you know, I think that even like it was either that day or the day before we went through and he was like, what are you scared of? I was like, I'm scared of dying. I'm scared of my baby dying. And he was just like, that's not going to happen. And I know that some people would probably feel like you can't promise that. Like, you don't know. But in that moment, I think I really needed to hear like, you're safe. Like we will take care of you. Yeah. And we talked about like the first delivery. He talked about how scary it was for him. And so we had this like shared moment of processing. And then he just kept saying like, I'll be there every step of the way. And also remember this is a birthday party. You know, I never made it to a birthday party in the last delivery. And so I remember that morning, I, I mean, the night before I was just a wreck, my husband and I were fighting. I was crying the whole time. But that morning I remember my doctor came in 
and he handed me an envelope and it had ultrasound pictures from the pregnancy because I didn't take any in the pregnancy. I think I took one about, I was pretty far along and he said, I saved them for you. Oh. Yeah. And I just remember thinking like, there's no one that I'll be in better care than this doctor who's like more invested. I was going to say, so just truly invested. In invested. Your- yeah. yeah. And just like knowing that like, I couldn't take them in the moment, but like, I would want them later. Yeah. And so I, you know, I go in, I panic as soon as I walk into the room, Daniel, my husband is with me the entire time. We're all, you know, suited up. He's suited up. I'm just in the, the gown. And, uh, I had this really wonderful nurse who, you know, I'm already crying hysterically and I'm sitting on the table and they're getting ready to prep me like with this final. And she said, just give me your head. And she um, put her hands on both sides of my head. And she said, I'm just going to hold you. I just sobbed while they did this final. And I just sat there sobbing. And she just sat there like holding my head and talking to me and saying like, you're okay. You're safe. We're going to take really good care of you. And pretty much like, that's like how the delivery went. I did end up having that anesthesiologist that I met with. He was wonderful. I was you know, laying there and they're doing like the, for those who haven't had a C-section, they do the ice test of, of, you know, can you feel this? And so they're doing all that. And and I'm I'm very anxious and just struggling to breathe. And he said, can I give you something to help for anxiety? And I said, I don't want to take anything. And he said, what is your fear of taking something? What are you scared of? And I said, I don't want the baby to come out dopey. And he said, I'm not going to give you anything that's going to impact the baby in that way. I'm not going to force you to take anything, but I would give you something that's safe. And I just remember my husband who was, we were cheek to cheek the entire delivery. And he just said to me, you matter too. And it's okay to take something. And so I did. And I think that was the best (laughs) because I don't know how I would have been able to, to lay there like without something. And so I took something and, you know, um, I knew that they were going to do a vertical incision because um, they were explaining that if they ended up needing to do the hysterectomy, that then they would have to do that anyway. And then I would have, you know, they gave me the option. Do you want us to start? And then in which case you'll have two incisions or do you want us just to do vertical? And I was like, just do vertical. Like, yeah. you know, I don't want to have to have two because that would be way more painful. And, you know, they're very... I don't know what it's like in your state, but they were very like, oh, vertical is so painful. We want to avoid it if we can. But then when they thought like, yeah, it's probably maybe more in the direction of it's placenta agreed to spectrum. And then with the full preview, they're like, mm, we should probably just do vertical. And so I ended up having, you know, the vertical incision and pretty quickly they get the baby out. And I just remember like hearing the cry for the first time, which I had never heard. I just remember saying to Daniel, oh, okay, like she's alive, she's fine. And then I remember they came back within minutes and they said, no NICU. And I was like, okay. And then the, they're sort of like kind of tugging on the placenta to see if it peels. And I remember like, it's probably seven minutes from the point of like when they started the delivery to when they told me that I needed the hysterectomy. And I remember the anesthesiologist just kept saying, bring the baby to mom, bring the baby to mom. And they kept, and I, because I was a hemorrhage risk, I 
was, um, I wasn't uh, strapped in, which I asked not to be given my trauma and they agreed not to strap me in. So that was good and really trauma informed, but I had to agree not to move my hands because they were, you know, yeah. pumping me full of stuff. And I was also hooked up to, I'm forgetting the name. You, you will, you'll probably remember the machine that recycles your blood back into you. Oh yeah. Is it not a transfuser? Is it? No. Um, I don't know that I'll be honest. I don't okay. know the name of it. I, I'm forgetting the name, but they do that so that like they minimize need for blood product for transfusion because they knew that I would probably bleed. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so like I'm hooked up and, you know, I can't move my arms. So the anesthesiologist just kept saying, bring the baby, put the baby to her cheek, let her kiss the baby, look at your baby. And he was just like celebrating with us. Like, let's get pictures of your baby. And just, I mean, he was the really, it was really my husband and the anesthesiologist that I spoke to the whole time because everyone's, you know, invested in what's happening. Of course. Yeah. So then I remember the guy knock just said, stop. We have to do the hysterectomy. And I just looked at my husband. I was like, damn. I, I mean, I'm pretty sure I said, fuck, we have to do this. <laughs> that makes more sense. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, it's hard. Then the baby is taken, which they prepped me for. And, um, you know, that I'm just alone in there. I think at that point, they pretty heavily sedated me, like kept me like pretty twilighty because I don't have as vivid memories of that. It's it, it's more kind of like in and out. Whereas in my first delivery, I was very cognizant in the surgeries after and when they were doing the c-section portion is very cognizant and i just i have sort of just glimpses but it you know it, it took i think almost three hours they said it was pretty complicated i did hemorrhage and they they had to do ligation and then give me i only needed only <laughs> needed two transfusions and so you know I wasn't as uh, aware. And so then like I make it out, they immediately like not even wheeled out of the room. Oh no. First, my doctor was talking to me. My OB was, was talking to me in, in that surgery, showing me pictures of Daniel and the baby, you know, giving me updates. And then they wheel me out. And before I'm even back into the um, PACU, they uh, reunite me immediately, like wheeled, immediately reunited immediately go into the recovery room my OB comes in he's like I love you guys we did it (laughs) and you know I'm just there to recover and I don't and I think because for me what has always been the most traumatic was that my baby died so I think it and even though I I was immediately just bereft about the hysterectomy I, I don't think I registered that it was a very traumatic delivery like with the hemorrhage and you know the ligation and 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 everything because I was like my baby's here like everything's fine so it took a a couple of days that to set in and then I was just like oh my gosh like I can't believe it this was supposed to be a reparative experience it was horrible and then you know everything kind of just continued in that in that way yeah yeah of course it took it took a little bit for that to sink in because you were so you know concerned as you would be about your yeah. baby and like you yeah. you can just hear the way you talk like you met them at like the 35 weeks you yep. just had to make that and then when you heard yep. like no nick you yep. and yep. you're gonna get to be near like all of that was such a one-track mind appropriately yeah. that yeah. of course you weren't really paying attention to yeah. to what was maybe happening yeah. for you and to you and you were also drugged so yeah 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 so yeah, yeah. that did they I mean, I think- did they not put you under 
for a specific reason? Yeah. So I had asked to be presenter. Yeah, I'm sure. My trauma is being awake in surgery. That's what I'm saying. And, yes. Yeah. And my OB said to me, I don't know that you'll want to be put under. He said you would it would take you a lot to come out of that and you might want to initially be with your baby. That was my like thought process and thinking because it would have been hours. Yeah. Um, obviously. He said it would be hours. You're not going to – he goes, I don't think you're going to want that. And the guy knock agreed and he said um, – he was kind of like, uh, it's it's my show. So he's like, I'll make the decision. And I was like, okay. So he's like, yeah, you know, we'll see what happens. And they didn't. But they did keep me – sedated heavily sedated yeah yeah I was heavily sedated I have glimpses like I can remember certain things being said like I remember like I remember like I think the guy said oh you'll never see your OB again because you can't get pregnant which is like a pretty insensitive thing to say and then I remember my I'm making a face I always forget I'm on a podcast I'm making an (laughs) and then my OB said you'll see me again you'll see me again like don't worry you'll see me again so it's just like I have like memories of that like weird things which I'm like is that did I imagine that like did I dream Mm -hmm. that is that true I don't that's how I know I was like pretty sedated and then um you know be and I think I think a lot of parents like who have a traumatic delivery feel that like they're so heightened the the attention is so heightened and focused on the baby that that it takes time to process I think for lost parents it's tenfold this is this is exactly my question for you yeah. is coming out of a pregnancy and birth yeah. after loss with a living baby yeah. and the just mixed emotions that that must yeah. create for you having trauma yeah. again in this yes yeah. yeah and I think it's so unique because for so long in that first delivery I felt like I felt like I didn't quite fit into the lost space because I almost died in delivery. And that was like often ignored or not acknowledged yes. or like people didn't get it. And I, and I never felt like I fit in the birth trauma phase because it was always be grateful for your baby. I'm like, well, damn, I wish I had my baby. Yes. Like, yes. And so I felt like I, I just, I've just always felt so othered. Like when it comes to fertility, it's like I've hit every averse fertility experience and every like rare like 1% or less than 1%, you you know, and so I just, yeah, it's been very interesting. And then, you know, my, I was in the hospital, I think for, let's see, I delivered on a Thursday, discharged on a Sunday, which was a bad decision. And that day, and I say that because I left AMA, technically I left AMA. So I, um, was feeling like, okay, like, I just want to get out of here. In the midst of all of this, our house flooded. And so oh I'd been in the hospital for a month. I wanted to get the fuck out of this hospital. I fucking hated this hospital. I was like, get me out. This is my least favorite place. I want to go. Then our house flooded, I think week two. And we knew that we were going to discharge to an Airbnb. And we had to move every single item out of our house because every floor needed to be repaired, uh, replaced. So in the midst of this, my husband is like running back and forth to like spending time with me in the hospital, working from the hospital, try to maximize his leave. Like once the baby is here and dealing with contractors at our house. And I was like, I just need to leave. But that day that, you know, I was thinking of leaving, it was a Sunday. I started projectile vomiting. And I remember the nurse is like, I don't think you should leave. And I was like, no, it's fine. And I looked at Daniel and he's like, well, it's up to you. But he was like, I think you're fine. I was like, yeah, I think I'm fine. No, I was not fine. I 
Did you have an Elias? Yes, I had an Ilias. I knew it. As soon as you started talking about projectile vomiting, I was like, no. Yeah. And it was so painful because they had this like incisions every time. I mean, even just like talking is painful. So like vomiting, I mean, every time being so much pain. So we discharged to this. I really hope the people of the Airbnb don't listen to this because they've become (laughs) our friends. We discharged (laughs) to this beautiful Airbnb. We're the first people to stay in it. It's completely renovated by some like serendipitous luck we the owners of the airbnb airbnb like the one of them was a former NICU nurse so she was like whatever you need i'll take the baby like whatever oh my gosh yeah so i discharged i'm projectile vomiting everywhere all over the wall i mean you can't even believe like like i've never vomited so much i have this memory (laughs) of Daniel holding a trash bag. That's how much vomit I was feeling. I'm holding a trash bag so I could vomit into the bag in one hand and the baby in the other. And I'm just nonstop vomiting in between saying, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And he's like, stop apologizing, it's fine. And he just looked at me and he's like, you went through so much to birth her. I just wanna take care of you. And I just remember saying, I think I have to go back to the hospital. And he said, let's just wait till tomorrow. And I was like, okay. And I thought maybe I was having a reaction to pain meds. So then I made another dumb decision to go off all pain meds. So while you're vomiting with an incision. And as someone who has vomited with a vertical and horizontal incision, I cried so hard. It was the worst experience I've ever had. It's so painful. And I'm just like weak from like hemorrhaging and all this stuff. Yeah. And I can't remember if I mentioned, but I was also severely anemic. So I had to do like the benefit transfusions like prior. Yeah. To, so I had like been through so much like in that month leading up to the delivery. I was already so depleted. And uh, so then I waited a day, miserable. I mean, I'm in so much pain. I can't even move. I mean, every second I'm just in so, so much pain. Um, and uh, next day I'm projectile vomiting again. So I said to Dean, I was like, I have to go back to the hospital. And he's like, yeah, we got to take you back. And so... <laughs> We left our days old infant with this stranger, this like who owns this Airbnb, this like angel person. And we like joke about it now. We're like, that's probably like a really risky move to just leave our baby. <laughs> we don't know. We had no family here. Our family left. They had been here for this whole month. They yeah. left the day I discharged. We're like, go home. We're fine. And uh, yeah, I um, we leave her. I go back to the hospital. I didn't know if they'd let us take the baby. I get to the, you know, triage and they're like, oh yeah, we got to admit you. And, you know, um, finally like got some pain meds. And I just remember like the OB that met with me was like, you decided to go off all pain meds, like after having um, a C-section hysterectomy, um, one in which you hemorrhage, they had to do ligation. I was like, yeah. She goes, I want to vomit. She goes, I You're like, imagine. same. That's what I've been yeah. doing. <laughs> She's like, that makes me want to vomit. That's horrific. So, um, yeah. And it was awful. Then I had to um, be like, you know, I had to do like x-rays and all the diagnostics. diagnostics and then they tell me it's an illness and I get readmitted. And it, then it was just like days of like, how can we clear this, like your bowels? And so it was another week in the, in the hospital. And, uh, it was just, just awful. And then I discharged back to the Airbnb and I just remember that's like when I felt like when I felt like the intense, like hormone crash. And I also just felt so depressed about the hysterectomy. Yeah. 
And I just, I just remember everyone visiting and saying, like, your baby's here and you're here. And we're so sorry about the hysterectomy. And it sucks. I just remember, like, my inner circle really getting it. I just remember people coming and hugging me and being like, this is so awful and so unfair and you can't catch a break. And we're so happy that you're okay. Yeah. And we had to keep you safe. And I remember like, I pretty much cried in every meeting with my doctor since. And every time he says, it sucks that that was the only option and there was no alternative. And um, they did pathology on it. And they told me that it was, I can't remember for your listeners if we explained accreta spectrum, accreta and creta per creta, but there's, you know, rankings of severity. And so accreta is the least severe and then it goes in creta per creta. And so accreta, usually still you need a hysterectomy, but that would be like the only one that like, maybe if you get lucky, you don't need it. And creta means it grows very deep into the uterus and per creta means it goes into other organs. So I was lucky that I didn't grow into other organs. I didn't have to, because they thought potentially they're like, we might have to remove part of your bladder. It looked like it was potentially blocking. So I was grateful, Mm -hmm. but the, but the in creta, you know, so it was very, a very serious one. And, um, yeah, I just remember like being very sad and just like telling my husband that I didn't want to be alone and which was hard because he, he had to like deal with a house that was completely gutted. And I just remember crying being like, don't leave me alone. I can't be alone. And I went to um, my follow-up appointment. I mean, I've been to many follow-up appointments, but I went to one of them and I, it was a new nurse and my experience is that these nurses are not trauma informed or trained. And she didn't read my chart. She didn't know that I had the hysterectomy. So I'm, I'm having to explain it. <laughs> yeah. And she said to me, which is a terrible thing to say to anyone, especially a terrible thing to say to someone like me, who has almost died now twice and has had a baby die. Well, your baby survived. So that's the only thing that matters. She just like got it wrong like, on all fronts, all fronts. Yeah. So wrong. Yeah. And I just, I didn't even respond, but it's like this like saying of be grateful your baby survived. Do you think that there's anyone aside from the person who went through the delivery that knows how grateful they are? Like no one is more aware of death than someone who is going through this. And I'm like, I've been on the other side of this where the baby didn't survive it's just it's just a bizarre thing to say in general but especially if she'd read my chart yeah and um I remember too like very newly postpartum I say newly like I'm not even four months out but yeah I know right (laughs) but newer newly um I went to the dermatologist you know like they asked for your history and so like I had to you know go through everything like you know, because they want to know, like, how many pregnancies, whatever. So I go through the whole thing, the hysterectomy. And she goes, well, we're going to have to start on medication, and you're going to have to take a pregnancy test first. I said, I can't get pregnant. I had a hysterectomy. I do not have a uterus. Yeah. But yeah. And then she goes, oh. And then later in the conversation, she goes, well, we'll have to talk about contraception. I said, I don't need contraception. I cannot get pregnant. I had a hysterectomy. This is a doctor, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then she said to me, 
well, since you decided you don't want any more kids, it'll be super easy to treat you. And I said, I want more kids. I just had to have the life-saving hysterectomy. Oh I mean, like, I said it probably five times in this appointment. Oh my God. I literally don't know how you, I don't, I don't even know. Cause I don't know what, I think I would have just started crying. Oh, I, I was, I made it through the appointment without crying. My husband and, and the baby were like in the car. I walk out and he goes, how was the appointment? And I was like, I don't want to talk about it. I was also mad at him at the time. <laughs> so I was punishing him. I was like, don't talk to me. And then I just start hysterically crying. He's like, what? He's like, can I give you a hug? And I was like, I'm fine. And I'm just like, hysterically crying. And he just looked at me and he goes, this fucking sucks. He's like, I know you are mad at me, but I'm going to give you a hug anyway. (laughs) And then I told him and I just keep thinking. And it even happened like with my, it even happened like with the nurses, like right after delivery where they're like, we're going to wait for your uterus like to contract or to expel. And the doctor's like, she doesn't have a uterus. And he was like angry on my behalf, you know, and I just keep thinking, which has been my experience thus far. And you could, you know, probably speak to this too. Until I look like I am not of child bearing age, I'm going to have to deal with people asking me and not reading my chart and saying, when was your last period? And I'm going to give a date of, you know, however many years. <laughs> was my last oh, I've never done that. That would be such a hilarious answer. Yeah. That's like what oh. I want to do. I like want to be a little snarky because I feel like people should read my chart. Oh, I want to yeah. be like next time I'm going to twenty twenty two. Yeah, next time <laughs> I'm going to be like um twenty nineteen, actually twenty eighteen, yeah. and see what happens. Yeah, see what they say. Be like, are you on some kind of birth control that keeps you from? No, I don't have a uterus. Read my chart. The, ulti- the ultimate birth control. <laughs> the, the ultimate. Oh yeah, it's it's crazy yeah. how unfortunately how often it happens, and yeah. I think with the like robotic way yeah. the system works and I guess forces healthcare providers to work where they're just like reading a list of questions. Well, it'd be like, when was the, the first, yeah. day, first day of your last period? And you answer that you had yeah. a hysterectomy and they're like, okay, is there any chance you could be pregnant? And you're like, I literally yeah. just told you I just had a hysterectomy. I know. I know. It's, mm-hmm. And it just blows my mind because, you know, as someone who does like very thorough intakes, like when I'm doing therapy with someone, and I have a template too. I'm also listening and I adapt the questions. It's like the whole point of an intake. Yeah. Uh-huh. So it's just, anyway. you know, it's, yes. uh, I'm, I'm not looking forward to that, uh, those uh, interactions. And so, yeah. yeah. And I, and I remember too, like when it really set in, I was always immediately sad about the hysterectomy, but I didn't process that like I hemorrhage and that it was dangerous and that it was risky. I think because they anticipated this, exactly. they took such good care of me and I had such a good team. Like my MFM was visiting me in the hospital and my MFM came right after delivery and was like, I'm so sorry about the hysterectomy. I was really hoping that wasn't the case. I mean, I, I've seen him, you know, a couple of times since and every time he apologizes and I mean, it's like, I, I felt so supported that it didn't register because last time it was an emergency and this That's, time yeah. it was urgent, but it wasn't an emergency because they were, they were so prepared. And those are the things that we went through. They're like, we have, we'll have blood in the room. We'll have X amount of people in the room. Right. Like we went through everything and they're like, if something happens, we will be prepared for it. Whereas yeah. last time we weren't prepared. 
Right. So it's almost like um, your brain categorized, like this is what a near death experience is and feels like. Yes. And yes. then when you had something that was very different than that, but actually was still very life threatening yes. as a creative spectrum yes. is, it didn't register. Yeah. And I remember, yes. And I remember when my doctor said it, he said, I don't remember if he used the words traumatic. He said, this was a hard delivery too. And you did hemorrhage and you did need transfusion. But in the first delivery, because I went into DIC and I actually like, I have an estimate of, I think I got 16 transfusions, not including like other products. And cause they went through my chart. So mm-hmm. I want to, I want to know everything. <laughs> like I was telling mm-hmm. you and I interview everyone. I'm like, tell me where you were. Tell me what you said, what you did, what you were thinking. Like, I want to know, like, were you pacing the hall? Like I want every detail. Oh yeah. And because there's gaps and I want to know what happened. And um, I was like posting about it on my Instagram because I had just everyone messaging me of like, are you alive? Are you okay? Like what's happening? So I gave just like a very clear, the baby's fine. The delivery was bad. I had to have the hysterectomy. And then like later on when I was sharing, oh, I only needed two transfusions. So it wasn't bad. I had someone message me and and said, and they said, I just want you to know (laughs) that quote, only having two transfusions is a lot. And most people don't need any. And I, you know, I hope you give space to that too. Something like very supportive and like validating. I was like, oh my God. And that was like the moment that I was like, that was a really bad delivery. Yeah. Yeah. But for so long I was like, and then it was like, I was so sick with the ileus that like, I didn't, I was so out of it. And prior to the delivery, I wasn't sleeping. And so I was just like, not in the right state of mind to really conceptualize everything. Of course. And so like a lot of the processing was after, and then it was just like a lot of crying and, um, you know, mixed with just like the immense relief and joy of like having my baby here and like being able to hold a living baby. And I got really lucky that have a pretty easy baby and I know that's amongst the things you're not supposed to say but you know I think you get to I think you get to (laughs) yeah and um you know and so I was I was just lucky that I just she's just she's just easy like she doesn't cry a lot unless she needs something she like very easily soothed and so I didn't have I had a very easy time attaching to her and really my detachment was in pregnancy because I I didn't want to fall in love with a baby that I wouldn't take home. And so for me, the second I saw her, I was like, all right. And everyone was worried about me because I was so detached. I mean, I, I said, I didn't tell anyone I was pregnant aside from the people that I saw because you can't really hide it until I was going to the hospital. It's like, Oh, um, I'm pregnant. I'm going to the hospital for a month. That, that the conversations I did tell people at work, I had to, I had to process that with them and I had to go out way earlier than I thought. And I also was on, the modified bed rest. So I had to reduce my appointment slot. So I did have to tell people at work, um, which is hard because I'm working with pregnancy loss and pregnancy after loss. And you yeah. know, I'm working with this population. <laughs> um, and uh, I didn't, uh, most people found out when I shared that I had a baby like a month later. So, you know, it was uh, very detached until after, but the second that I had her I felt just so bonded which is not everyone's experience it was my experience yeah um and I I feel grateful for that that I had that experience yeah it's it's such a testament to the joy and the grief just coexisting and living together and I think also to your point like 
you know, they did a great job preparing for this. They made sure yeah. that it did not feel yeah. absolutely terrifying in the middle. Like, these are all yeah. good things. And yeah. you also didn't yeah. get a shot at yeah. a birth that wasn't life-threatening, at a birth that yeah. didn't need you to have the crash cart and blood in the corner. Yeah. You know, like, you didn't get that experience after your loss yes. and i think that's hard to yeah. do especially with the finality of a hysterectomy yeah. yeah and i never got that experience in the pregnancy and i think yep. you know it's so hard because it's really like such a multi-layered experience because it's like i knew that any pregnancy would would have been traumatic and i knew that any delivery would have been traumatic even if it was perfect. Yes. And what I was trying to explain to people, because so many people would be like, just think positively. And it's like, <laughs> first of all, I thought positively in my entire first pregnancy and that did shit, right? Like yeah. nothing. Like what did that do? Nothing. We can't manifest good outcomes. If that were true, no one would ever have anything bad happen to them. And I hate that narrative because it may, it puts the blame on the person of like, you just didn't want it badly enough. Yep. And I would try to explain to them that like, on one hand, it's the trauma, in which case, you know, trauma changes everything. It changes the way our body responds. It changes the way our brain functions. And it, it tells us things like you're not safe because of A, B, and C. Yep. Even when we are safe, it does that. But then I had it paired with just complication after complication after complication. And I would explain to people, I'm not crazy. First no. of all, I wouldn't have been crazy even if there were no complications. It would have been exactly. drama. But I was like, I'm not crazy. Like, I'm actually saying this is what they're saying, and it's scary. And so people, like, were not understanding that it was, like, it was playing on my trauma. It was reinforcing my trauma and this narrative of bad things happened to me. Yes, exactly. And, and, and that narrative, even when there aren't additional things after trauma, it's really hard to go to someone and be like, because if it's just just anxiety, you can say, well, let's look at the logic behind it. You know, like, let's myth bust some of that. But if it's trauma, someone's going to turn to you and say, but the bad thing already happened and the rare thing already happened. So I don't find comfort in statistics or, you know, that doesn't make me feel better. It makes me feel worse. And so every step of the way, I was I was getting that reinforced. Yeah. Yeah. And then it was just like, like you said, like this finality of, and this will be your only experience. Your only two experiences will be these two. You know, and it's, you know, it's devastating. I think I'll always feel sad about that. Yeah, it's unfair. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I am so appreciative of you sharing your stories. I'm curious about yeah. one other piece that I think um, yeah. so many people in my community really struggle with, yeah. and you had to navigate a lot, which is the idea yeah. of walking back into the same or very similar environment where your trauma first occurred and doing it again. And so I'm wondering, I know you did a ton of work with your team for them to prep yeah. you and all of that, but yeah. I'm wondering even like when you were told, um, okay, you're going to have to like go into the hospital into like the antepartum unit for like maybe a month, like, and yeah. you were talking about how it was, it was awful. And I, and I know there was no yeah. magic fix for that, but I'm wondering yeah. like, what did you try to do to cope with that? Yeah. How did you try to kind of prepare and cope with the idea of, again, yeah. even before the antepartum visit, just having to go through birth again after yeah. your experience of trauma and loss? Well, the first thing I did was I convinced them to give me ambulatory privileges. Love that. 
<laughs> because I wasn't bedridden. And right. so I, every day would sit outside for a couple of hours and, um, you know, people were bringing food. We were having dinner outside. We were playing board games outside. I refused to wear the hospital garb until like the delivery. I was like, I want to feel as much in my normal routine as possible. So I brought my own clothes, which was comfortable more, which I was more comfortable. And I had my own blankets. I, I always had flowers in the room. My husband would bring my dogs every day as I could sit outside with them. So I tried to bring as much comfort as I could. I did I still did therapy from the, I was going to say hotel room, from the hospital. (laughs) Yeah, I brought like my own like towels, my own pillows. I pretty much brought my own whatever I could bring there. Um, You know, and uh, I also, something I don't know that I mentioned, I met with social work pretty much every week, a couple times a week. I mean, and I, uh, yeah, I just, I brought as much of my normal normality. Is that a word? Normality. I brought as much as, I brought as much normalcy possible <laughs> into it. Um, and I also, you know, I was really communicative. I was very much of like, this is helpful. This is not helpful. Or like, if I needed someone to leave, I'd be like, you need to leave. <laughs> like, this is, I was not um, worried about other people's responses. Yeah. Which is a, it's, it's a hard shift when you maybe are a people pleaser, um, when you have in the past traditionally been kind of concerned about others' feelings and how you're going to come off and all of these things and having to really make that shift for yourself, I think, um, is, is an important piece of this too. Yeah. I re-binged Gilmore Girls. (laughs) Oh my God, I just wrote, I just wrote that on my Instagram story today. I was like, the the leaves changing makes me want to binge Gilmore Girls again. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. I mean, that's, that's a great, I mean, comfort shows. That's a great support. We cannot, we cannot downplay comfort books, comfort shows, all of the I never, I never ate one hospital meal. I know that that's really spoiled, but I was like, I'm going to order whatever I want you know? Yes. Yeah. Well, again, thank you, Tracy, so much for, for sharing your story, which is, you know, multi-layered, exactly like you said, there's so much trauma and loss that you experience. But I think what's really um, unique about you being able to share your story in this way is that there are so many pieces of it that people will connect to differently um, yeah. because there are so many layers, which I know was horrific and devastating to have to go through, mm-hmm. but being able to use that story to to help others connect and let them know that when they have the 1% thing happen to them, the less than 1% thing happened to them over and over again, that yeah. they are not alone um, and that yeah. their feelings and reactions to that are valid and normal given the extraordinary yeah. Uh, experiences that are that are unfolding in front of them yeah yeah so I hope this felt okay for you um yeah thanks so much for having me yeah of course If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to hit that subscribe button and please leave us a review so that other people can find this podcast and hopefully get the support and the validation that they're looking for. 